This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. The other thing, of course, that is as big, if not bigger than education, I don't know, they won in 1A, is, of course, vaccines. And we just heard from Dr. Howard New, who's the Deputy Chief Public Health Officer, that more than 900,000 Canadians have been vaccinated. If you want an, an actual number, I think it's 904,333. And so that's, that's encouraging, but at the same time, we know we have slowdowns happening right now. And we have had spokespeople in Germany saying there are 10 hard weeks ahead when it comes to vaccinations. And one question that keeps coming up is, why can't we make our own? We've made vaccines in this country before. We have discovered things that have turned into vaccines in this country. Why don't we make this particular vaccine? Well, we may have some encouraging news on that front, but at the same time, it's not going to help us this week, next week, or the week after. Please welcome to London Live Dr. Volker Gertz, Associate Director of Research of the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization at the University of Saskatchewan. Dr. Gertz, thanks so much for taking some time for us. Thanks for having me. One big question that does come up is just that. Why can't we manufacture a vaccine for COVID-19 in Canada? How complex is the answer to that question? It's complex. It's, uh, it's, you know, there is now a number of companies that are going forward with technologies that are made in Canada. So we, we are making vaccines and uh, we also investing into manufacturing facilities that in the future allow us to manufacture these vaccines here. As you mentioned in your introduction, Canada has some of the largest vaccine companies in the world, um, in Toronto and other places. But um, it's the additional capacity that is needed right now to to be able to quickly make vaccines for COVID-19. And that's been a little bit of a challenge, but now we're investing into these new facilities and, and um, in the future we will. Well, that's good. When we say future, we like future for some <laughs> things like vaccines to be later today, to be tomorrow. How far do we have to look into the future in this case? So there is um, a few companies now that, including our own university here, that have vaccines now in clinical trials. And um, so it is really just a matter of time before we have technologies and, and know that they work in humans and that we can then make the switch and um, start buying domestically. Um, you know, you'll still look at a few months there for sure, um, or maybe even a year Um but the manufacturing facility investment into building our capacity for manufacturing is really investing into the future. And that's what Canada is doing right now by strategically looking what is needed in the country. What do we need to invest in to be better prepared for the next time? Yeah. Well, Dr. Gertz, we don't really want that next time to be anytime soon. We know it could happen. How much is conversation and how much are we starting to turn toward construction on this? So here at Vito, for example, we're, we're actively constructing a manufacturing facility right now. So is the National Research Council in Montreal. They're, they're constructing a facility. Um, there is a facility that is being constructed for antibodies in Vancouver right now. And then there is money um, 
uh, given to companies to expand their existing capacity to be able to produce more in the future. So, so there is real dollars that are currently being spent and, um, and facilities being constructed. That sounds like really good news. How good news is that considering how close you are to it? When you look at that information, do you say, yes, this, this is positive? Or do you look at this and say, well, it's about time? Well, no, it's it's positive for sure, right? I mean, these in these pandemics, um, you know, there was SARS one, and uh, a lot of discussion happened about, you know, what can we do to be better prepared and so on. I think this one, COVID nineteen, is really showing us how big the impact of a pandemic can be, and it really affects all of our lives, right? And the losses and the economic losses and so on. And so now, I think um, after this one everyone will really understand why we need to have these um, facilities in the country that do research on these emerging diseases, but also have manufacturing facilities that they can make vaccines for them. And so it's almost like an insurance policy if you want, right? I mean, we need to now invest into this capacity and then operate them and keep them up and running. So when the fire occurs, we're ready to put it out. And that's what the Canadian government is doing right now. Dr. Volker Gertz joining us, Associate Director of Research of the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Organization, VITO, at the University of Saskatchewan. So what essentially will this mean? I and mean, we talk about, well, if only we were manufacturing them here, everything would be great. What does change if you're manufacturing on your own soil? So as a country, you're not dependent then on other countries or on companies that operate in other countries and therefore fall under their jurisdiction. Canada has invested into um, a, COVAX, a global COVAX strategy, if you want, which is coordinated by the World Health Organization and organizations like the Gates Foundation, CEPI and Gavi and so on. So these are all international efforts to make sure that access to vaccine technologies global technologies is is um, secured and granted to every country in the world and and so those are very very important things and so it's gr- great that the canadian government is a partner in that um, if you look right now i mean there is many many low and middle income countries around the world that currently have zero access to any vaccines right so obviously that can't happen on the other hand i think it's also important that countries look out for themselves and ensure that they do have some level of domestic uh, capacity so that they're not completely dependent on other countries or companies that operate in other countries and therefore fall under their EU restriction. And that's, I think that's what we're doing right now. While, while we're building up domestic capacity, we're also agreeing to be part of international efforts. Because those will become pretty big eventually. You mentioned it. There are countries out there, we sit back and say, well, we're not getting any vaccines this week, and everybody starts to grumble. There are countries that aren't getting vaccines yet. At all. At all. Exactly. And they will have to wait a whole year until the richer countries have received their vaccines, and then it's their time. Wow. What's it been like being involved as closely in vaccines and vaccinations and immunology and all those sorts of things over the last calendar year, Dr. Gertz? Well, it's been it's been extremely busy for us here. But but, you know, this is why we are in this area, right? I mean, we all work on vaccines and understanding infectious diseases because we all see 
the importance of vaccines or having access to vaccines. And, and right now, I mean, this is why Vito is here. We, we have some of the world's best scientists right here, and, and they're working around the clock on, on the getting our vaccine into clinical trials. But that, at the same time, Vito is doing, at the moment, work with more than 80 different con- companies from around the world and Canada. So half of them are Canadian companies, the other half are international companies, trying to, on an international level, trying to find new technologies in addition to vaccines that can work for this disease. And so really what we're learning now is what we learn then for the next one and the next one and so on. And this is why we all are in science. This is why we love it, because, you know, we're doing this for people. Dr. Gertz, thank you for doing it. Thank you for the update that sometime in the future we will be manufacturing vaccines that can deal with things like COVID-19 on our own soil. And we'll kind of have that added insurance, like you say. Is there a timeline on when something like this might open or is it still years down the road? Oh, no. Our facility construction will be complete by fall of this year, and then it will be open uh, early on next year. And as soon as we get it commissioned and certified, um, you know, then we're ready to start. So hopefully uh, even early next year is when we can start manufacturing some of these vaccines. But but it's also the research that we're doing right now. I mean, we're looking at, you know, we're using this pandemic right now as an example. What can we learn from it? And so I would challenge the field, and, and we're working on this right now. Why do we always have to wait until a new disease emerges? Why can't we make vaccines in advance, predicting what the next pathogen might look like and have them ready stockpiled somewhere so that when a disease breaks out, we fly it there and try to contain it as early as possible. And that's what Vito's science is focused on right now. There's a world we want to live in. Well, again, thank you for the work that you and your colleagues do. Thank you for the time today. Dr. Gertz, please stay safe. Thank you. Same to you. Thanks so much. That's Dr. Volker Gertz. Isn't that kind of a breath of fresh air? Isn't that kind of encouraging that the money is there? Now, hey, we can all play, well, why wasn't, why wasn't this happening before? Why wasn't it? And it's the same reason that you don't go out and replace a pair of jeans or your iron or whatever it is that's kind of okay right now. Can I get by with this? Underwear with one hole in it. You're not replacing those. Yeah, one hole. It's not a big deal. But you don't know when that one hole is going to become a, whoa, uh, th- yeah, I got a problem here. Or you don't know when that iron's going to go completely. Or when those jeans, the knee is going to pop through. Or whatever it happens to be. It's fine until it's not. And it's when it's not that humans tend to act. And so... Hopefully now that message that Dr. Gertz talked about at the end where why can't we be better prepared? Why can't we put on the girl and boy scout hat and be prepared? Why can't we do this? Well, because funding goes elsewhere or because, ah, you know, it's okay. You know, there's, there's only the tiny hole in those underwear. Yeah, maybe that attitude changes. Maybe not because it involves money, but the government has given money, as Dr. Gertz points out, in order to create a facility where they are in Saskatchewan, where it will be open by fall, where they need to get it commissioned and there are a lot of I's to dot and T's to cross, but they would be producing here. We will get to a point where Canada is talking about where we are sending vaccines because we have too many. 
we are watching right now as we continue to monitor things, but we have Major General Danny Fortin, who is part of the national vaccine rollout strategy, and he's talking about how many vaccines we're going to get. We're talking about millions and millions and millions and millions, enough still to vaccinate Canadians several times over. And there is nothing to say we won't, but right now the rollout is slowed. Everybody's looking around. It's kind of a race against different strains and a race against how things are progressing. And everybody's being asked to bear down, all those sorts of things. Not easy, but there is still that positive ahead. And maybe we're better prepared so that somebody three, four generations from ours does not have to go through this again. Because we'll have plans in place. That remains to be seen, and that'll depend on who's running the show in the future to say, hey, you know, remember back what happened? That could happen again. Could happen anytime. We should be ready for that. Or do they say, ah, chances of that are slim. We'll spend the money elsewhere. That's going to be the question. We want to turn right now and talk about the return to school. Joining us is Linda Stott, who is the Director of Education for the London District Catholic School Board. Linda, how's today going? Did did it all of a sudden take a turn, or did you have any inkling that this was going to take place? Uh, we did not uh, receive a lot of notice, but we are uh, delighted. Um, what we were hoping even this would have happened before, and we've seen uh, the numbers uh, in the London and area come down in terms of confirmed cases. COVID cases. So what basically happened was the Chief Medical Officer of Health of the Province, um, in talking with the local medical officers here, uh, felt comfortable that uh, we're in a position to resume uh, in-person learning uh, for our students as of Monday. So originally we, we were asked to wait until February the 11th, uh, but this is uh, it's nice and very encouraging and we're very glad. Um, that we'll be able to welcome back students and staff once again to our buildings. Parents are trying to fill in some of the details on this. We've heard from the education minister that they are introducing stronger masking protocols to include grades one and three. Do we know anything detailed about that? Um, For us, it doesn't mean too much of a change. Uh, We as a board um, put in measures that we also wanted to, students in grade one to three to wear masks. And so that has been in place now. It's a little bit more stringent because it's obviously now a provincial directive. So our students shouldn't see uh, too much difference on that. Um, The other difference is they're also being asked now where they can't maintain physical distancing outdoors at recess time, that they're also asked to keep their masks on during that time. So everybody's just trying to be cautious so that we only continue to improve and we don't go back uh, to where we were during the holidays. Linda Stodd joining us, Director of Education with the London District Catholic School Board. As far as testing goes, does anything change on that front? Um, What will change is the self-screening. So we've always asked all of our employees... um, and our students to self-screen uh, to go on to the to the website and just confirm that they have none of those 
uh, COVID symptoms. Um, what's going to become a little bit more rigorous, so for our staff, uh, they're going to be asked uh, to verify uh, with us that indeed uh, that they have done the self-screening and we're moving towards our secondary students being required uh, to do that as well. So it's just raising that awareness that they're confirming that they've done the self-screening, that they don't have any symptoms. And I would say that our experience with this to date has been very good, that people have erred on the side of caution, that if they even think that they have one of the symptoms, that they've stayed away and then just follow the direction. So uh, I think the extra measures is just that little bit more caution um, so that we just can continue from here to, uh, to improve as we move into the spring. Linda Stott joining us, Director of Education with the London District Catholic School Board. Linda, if I'm doing my math right, and it's not always reliable, an octomester is about to come to an end on Monday, and then next week would be a, a little bit different because of the way that the final assignments are due and those sorts of things at the, the secondary school level. What challenges exist there and all of a sudden pivoting to go from online learning to back to class? Does it happen for secondary students as well? Uh, we're just working out those details right now, and we should uh, be able to communicate that shortly. But you are correct um, that Monday... Um, would be the last day of, uh, of the semester, of this octomester. And then um, we move into a day where they have their uh, summative uh, assessment. And then the following day is the Wednesday, um, and that's a board-designated PD day. And then the next octomester, which would now be octomester five, um, and we uh, will start on the Thursday. So we're just working out the details right now and we'll be able to provide families that information shortly. Should they look in the email that they receive yes. from schools? Yes, absolutely. They, they'll, they'll hear from us this afternoon. Anything else, Linda, that you think we need to know as we prepare for a big day on Monday for a lot of people in this area? My advice is that we just we can't let our guard down. Um, things are beginning to improve. Uh, we are still under, in the province, a stay-at-home uh, order that we need to uh, to limit our contacts and fortunately education has been deemed as an essential uh, service um, that our students are coming in but in all of the rest of the activities the the no congregating the no getting to no coming together uh, we still have to adhere to that and not uh, let down our guard well Linda, thank you so much for the time, and I want to congratulate you on the announcement that you will be retiring. Thanks so much for what you've done for education over your career, and I know you've got a few months left, so I'm sure we'll talk again, but congratulations. Great. Thanks so much, um, Mike. It's, um, yeah, it's been a wonderful career, and um, as we, my final act will be to get us uh, through uh, this part of COVID and then uh, someone new uh, into a new year. What a final act. That's it. You'll be able to, to finish off and, uh, and find a nice, comfortable spot and write a book about this, I'm sure. Yes, indeed. Take care. Okay, thanks, Mike.
That is Linda Scott, Director of Education with the London District Catholic School Board. It was announced earlier this week that she would be retiring from her position at the end of this school year. So a few things still to know about secondary school students and what will be happening there just because of the timing. This is the kind of thing, and I know it's important to get students back to school, but this is the kind of thing that I keep poking at when it comes to the Ontario government because I keep wondering whether it is that they know how things work because when you're doing things you want to make sure that it's flowing well and if you're sending secondary school kids back to school you're doing it with one day left in an octomester so think of the teachers all right we've got a final assignment due here's how it's going to play out because everybody's online wait a minute half of you are here no 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 we were we were going to do this all online and now half of you are here how are we going to do this see what i mean that's unfair that's unfair to the teachers and this is why i keep wondering does the ontario government ask people who actually do the jobs whether what they're planning on doing is going to fit let's ask that question if a tree falls in the forest does it make a sound what is the sound of one hand clapping if you are trying to scout people and there are no people to scout, how do you scout? Joining us right now, by the way, on this big green bag is a London Knights logo right on the back here. So it's fitting that we are talking with the Associate General Manager of the London Knights, Rob Simpson. Rob, how do you scout players when there are no players to scout? <laughs> That's a difficult question to answer. Of the, uh, you know, We've been spending a lot of time right now with uh, video from early in the year when there was some inter-squad games. Uh, there was in different areas across Ontario and in the U.S. You know, some some games that were going on. There's Bantam uh, hockey video, and and in the U.S. right now they are playing in in certain areas that we can watch. So we've been doing a lot of, of video scouting right now. We we're fortunate enough to get out and watch some live games uh, early, like uh, back in October, November, and. And also our analytic department has been working hard on uh, looking at statistics from the Bantam year and taking a deeper dive into that. Well, I mean, it's like anything. You, you find ways to make it work. You find ways to make it happen. We know that the OHL priority selection, that there's been talk of it moving. Anything concrete on that? No, nothing definite right now. Um, it's gonna, obviously, it's been moved back. Um, into June at this point but um, you know we're going to take it day by day and and I know the league is looking at it more importantly and you know I think everybody involved wants to make sure that you know whenever that draft takes place that uh, the players that are in the draft have enough time to to showcase themselves fairly and be able to give the YHL scouts and GMs uh, enough time to get out and make fair assessments so that the draft can take place as it usually does um, obviously, it's not going to be the same as, you know, a normal year, but, you know, we're going to kind of do what we can as a league and, and team by team to make it the best that we can for these young players. Hey, that's just it. And does that just go because we get questions, you get questions, everybody around the OHL gets questions as to what the latest is on the league and and return to play and all those sorts of things. Is that still day by day sort of thing as well from what you're hearing? Yeah, you know, there's there's definitely plans uh, that are being put in place and and looking at all options. But you know, at this point, it's it's really up to the you know the government, uh, the Ontario government, and 
and the health minister and when they feel that it is fit uh, and capable for us to be able to play. And, you know, we as a league are going to follow those guidelines and, and uh, make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep everybody safe. And when they say it's, you know, it's safe and acceptable for us to play, I think that's when, you know, all the plans that the leagues are, are, are putting in motion are going to take place and, and get going rather quickly, hopefully. Knights Associate General Manager Rob Simpson joining us. Rob, in the meantime, you are putting on a coach's clinic. Tell us about this. Yeah, it was something that, uh, yeah, as a staff, we thought would be a, a great thing for, you know, the London City minor hockey, AAA, um, you know, all minor hockey coaches uh, that are out there, that everybody right now, you know, it's great that we have NHL hockey, but everybody that is is looking for things in hockey to keep them occupied and, you know, as you know, we're in Canada, we're always busy with some form of hockey. So we came up with the idea that it would be a great thing to be able to run a free coaches seminar, uh, do it by way of Zoom where everybody can can be on. And, um, you know, Dylan Hunter and Rick Stedman and myself are going to be on the call. And, and uh, I know Rick and Dylan have really uh, put together some great slides on some different topics uh, from anything of, you know, looking at practices or, you know, how to evaluate teams um, dealing with today's uh, player and even things like common things that we see as uh, a staff when players come into uh, the London Knights, what they need to work on consistently overall, what we see in the players. So a bunch of different topics, you know, we'll do a question and answer period, but it's really just an opportunity for our coaches to share uh, some knowledge with the coaches uh, around the area and maybe take some knowledge from them as well too on different things that work for them. Great stuff. How do people find more information? Uh, you can find it on any one of our uh, social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, uh, at our London Knights feed. Uh, it's going to be February 1st, which is next Monday at 1 o'clock. Um, and there's a registration link on our website that people can uh, go on and, and sign up with it on our website at LondonKnights.com as well, too. Rob, thanks for the update on everything. Really appreciate it. Keep safe and uh, keep scouting. Yep, sounds good. Thanks, Dubsy, and, and everybody out there. Stay safe as well. That is Rob Simpson, London Knights Associate General Manager. So, see, one hand clapping, tree falling in forests, scouting when there's no one to scout. You still find ways around it. And I think they did do a test one time that a tree does make a sound if no one hears it. Still, It, it still makes a sound. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 